0: St. John the Evangelist is really a a masterful author. His gospel is the most loved by many people because of the beauty of his images, the details he gives, the way he turns certain phrases. And today's passage was probably intended to be the original conclusion of his gospel. It has a certain finality to it. It ends on a very moving note, and I'm going to get to that ending in a moment. Uh, But in fact, I'd be willing to argue that It's only because of the protest of St. John's own disciples that we ended up with one more chapter of his gospel, which then concludes with a note about John himself. I'm sure John would have been quite pleased to end where we finished our reading today. But Before we get to that ending, I'll consider a few things. The first is that there's two separate appearances of the Lord in the gospel tonight. One, the first appearance, is on the evening of Easter Sunday, the day the Lord rose, And by this time in the narrative, the women have already gone to the tomb. Peter and John have seen the burial cloths, and they've seen the angels. Mary Magdalene has seen Christ himself. Peter has seen Christ. We don't hear that event played out in the gospel. We hear it hinted to. It's explained later in Peter's letters. Christ appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And now he appears in the upper room with the eleven. So a lot's happened on this day. But of course, we know that the eleven are gathered except Thomas. For pretty much the whole of our Lord's following, the world has been turned upside down in a single day. But everyone is receiving the proofs they need to accept the resurrection. So Christ is intentionally giving his disciples the amount of information they need to accept the certainty of the resurrection. Because he's providing their witness for the future, for the church. They are going to be the foundation of so many people's faith, of my faith and yours. And so they have to get it right. It was enough for Peter and John to see the burial cloths, but Mary Magdalene had to hear her name and the Lord's voice. The disciples on the road to Emmaus had to see the breaking of the bread, the Holy Eucharist. The rest of the apostles had to see Christ in bodily form. They had to see his, his side, they had to see his hands. In another account of the gospel, he eats with them to prove that he's not a ghost. So all of the people receive their proof. All that is except St. Thomas. And poor St. Thomas, we always call him the Doubting Thomas, as it's he's the weakest leak of the band. But we forget that the thing he's asking for, to see the hands and the side of Christ, is the precise proof that the rest of the apostles had. Thomas isn't really asking for much. He's asking for what everyone else received. And it was, after all, Thomas, who realized in the beginning that Christ was intentionally going to Jerusalem to be killed, to sacrifice himself. When Christ sets his eyes on Jerusalem, all of the apostles tell Christ that he's a fool to go back there, except Thomas. Thomas says, let us go also, that we might die with him. So Thomas is not a fool. He's not about to be fooled in such an important matter as the resurrection, and so he demands a sign. And that brings us to the second appearance in this passage. Our translation in the lectionary really lets us down here. But St. John writes that the apostles were gathered together in the upper room, this time with Thomas, and it was the eighth day. That's what St. John says. Now to us, that may just sound like there was just eight days sequentially. That's eight days later, or as the lectionary says, that it was a week later. But for the early Christians, the eighth day has a very special meaning, a particular meaning. God began his creation of the universe in Genesis on the first day. And as we know, that creation lasted for seven days, or really for six, with the Lord resting on the seventh. And our Lord himself rose on the first day of the week, on the day of creation, on Sunday. But for the early Christians, the resurrection was an event of the new creation, And so they started referring to it as the eighth day, the day of the new creation. It's for this reason that many baptismal fonts, and I didn't have a chance to look at the font here, but many baptismal fonts are eight-sided. And many churches, such as this church, have eight sides to them because of the eighth day of creation, the resurrection, the day of recreation. And so John is taking on the language of the early Christians to set the story of Thomas out for a particular purpose especially as he prepares to conclude his gospel it's sort of like the old children's books where the last page is the moral of the story here is where saint thomas i mean saint john is going to give us the moral of his gospel and so we know the story thomas and the 11 are gathered in the upper room our lord appears to them as he did on the previous sunday and he wishes peace upon all of them and then he turns directly to thomas he's not prompted he just turns right at thomas and he says put your finger Here and see my hands. Bring your hand and put it in my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. And that is all that Thomas needs. He doesn't actually go on to feel the nail prints. It was enough for him to hear the Lord answer his request. But then something curious happens in St. John's Gospel. Christ speaks about you, specifically about you, gathered here in this church on the Sunday after Easter and all the Christians in every century who have never seen him. And he says, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. We get a new and a final beatitude in this moment. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. And with that, St. John wraps things up talks about how jesus did all these other things that he could have written down but by now his hand is hurting and he's out of paper and so he's going to limit himself to these few chapters so that we can all believe so that we can believe i'll say it one more time saint john closes his gospel by saying that he wrote this so that we can believe think about that mary magdalene had her proof john had his proof peter thomas all the apostles they had their proofs what is our proof why are we here our proof is that we're reading today St. John's words, a man who lived 2,000 years ago and died without a cent to his name. Our proof is that 300 Sri Lankan Catholics died last Sunday while they were attending Mass. Christ is not asking for an unreasonable or a blind faith. St. Augustine says God does not expect us to submit our faith without reason, but the limits of our reason— Make faith a necessity. God is not asking us to ignore reason. He's not asking us to to avoid questioning things, not to be curious. It was okay that Thomas questioned because the purpose of his question was to reveal something to us. Don't be fooled into thinking that it's a matter of chance that Thomas wasn't there the morning of Easter. In many ways, as St. Gregory the Great says, our faith owes more to the faithlessness of Thomas than to the faithfulness of all the other apostles put together. Because Thomas doubted, all of the apostles had an opportunity to probe the nail prints and to believe because their faith became the firm foundation for the church, for your faith. And all of them, save St. John, our, our author this, uh, this evening, all of them, Peter and James and Matthew and Thomas, all of them gave their life for Christ in the end so that their blood could be the seed of the church, And so God does not ask for a faith without reason. Our reason can look at the church and all the sorry examples for leadership she's had these past 20 centuries and be astonished at the fact that she somehow survived. We can look at the odd way she worships, even to the present day, all that kneeling and standing we did on Good Friday. We can look at the treasury of her sacred art, her sacred music, her writing, all of it, and have reason enough to say there's something behind it all. And then comes faith. Faith answers the final and the most important question what is the reason? And I'm sorry to say, but St. Thomas Aquinas is right. To the one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To the one without faith, no explanation is possible. Or in one of his hymns, St. Thomas writes faith, our outward sense befriending, makes the inward vision clear. Faith is a gift. It's a virtue. It's poured into us at the moment of our baptism. It's a gift which enables us to stand in that upper room today to see this church that we inhabit this evening as the upper room. And here, all of us gathered with the apostles, that same faith will lead us together to this altar where Christ will once again appear to us in his very flesh. And as we celebrate this sacred and this ancient rite, as we do every week, The rite itself, the mass, becomes the witness for us. It is our proof. And so we each will approach this altar, where our Lord greets each of us and holds out his flesh to us and says to you and to me, put your finger here and see the place of the nails and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Alleluia. Christ is risen.